What is going on? My name is Taylor, and this podcast is called Who Knows, a podcast that works to answer the simply complicated questions of life and promote a life of self-love, mental health, and creating your own normal. Don't worry, we are just as lost as you are. Hello, everyone. Can we believe that it's almost summer? I can because it is the surface of the sun outside right now. And I'm going to say it. I think I am finally coming to terms with the fact that I don't really like summer. I don't don't like it. Uh, The bugs, so many bugs getting into my house. There's a stench that follows you into the house after you're outside, just like sweaty grossness. I just, I don't really like it. I think there are aspects of summer that I do like, but I feel like overall, I'm I'm sort of over it. (laughs) It's, yeah, I mean, it's odd because I really do like when it gets sunnier and when the sun's out, I... I'm not really liking the doom and gloom in the winter months. I do like the weather, like the winter and fall, early spring, like chill. I like I like a crisp fall day and I like the like the like springtime when you can like wear some shorts and like a hoodie kind of thing. And I mean, technically it's still spring right now. By the calendar, summer doesn't officially start until uh, June 20th. June 20th is when it starts. But we all really know the truth, you know? As soon as May really starts cranking, it's summer. It's it's happening. And here's the deal. Here's the tea. Give me all the summer drinks like tea. Give me the soft serve ice cream. Give me the shorts and tank tops and sunglasses. I love all of those summer things like pool day, walk in the park, except the weather is just, I'm like here for it in small doses. Like I just, it's too much. And the bugs in my house, there's so many bugs in my house. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. I love summer, but not really. I really don't like summer. It's very confusing. I'm conflicted, but I do want a soft serve ice cream. All right, let's get into what we came for, shall we? This episode, today's episode, which is going to take us out of May and into another thing that I actually like about summer, Pride Month. But before we get into the full episode, I want to start off by giving a few shout outs to a few more of our fantastically fantastic Indiegogo contributors, those lovely individuals from all over the world who are making this season possible and have helped who knows launch into its bright new future, as bright as the sun in a summer, summer day. (laughs) Anyway, so today I want to give a shout out to Anna C., Louise B., Nina M., and McArdle Photography. A thousand million thank yous to all of you today and every single day. You are making my dreams come true, and I am so grateful for it. All right, it's time for our topic breakdown, where we hear from the mind of a mental health professional about the subject of this week's episode. To fully understand the emotions behind any subject, I think that it is important to consult the professionals. While conversations like the ones on our show are valuable and important in so many ways, to gain the best insight on mental health, therapists are here to help. Our topic for this episode is coming out, and I feel like coming out is a term that most people are familiar with. But if you're not, this is the moment or journey of moments of an LGBTQIA plus individual's life when they begin to let the world know who they really are. It's a celebration where the individual should be met with hugs and love and excitement from all the people around them. And unfortunately, it can end up being one of the most terrifying moments in their life because we live in a world where there's so much intense scrutiny upon every move we all make. Someone is going to find a way to make what you've decided to do with your life something they feel like they can comment on and make their business. And for the queer community, 
not only are people overly critical of their decisions, some people seem to wake up every day and do what they can to make the way that LGBTQIA plus individuals want to live their life something that is illegal. I still can't wrap my head around that ever. Queer people have to fight every day for their right to be happy. Even saying that makes me so angry and upset about the fact that this fight is still happening on a day-to-day basis and sadly will probably continue to happen. This is a moment of many moments that I'm grateful to have our resident therapist on the show to help us break down the emotions that are at play here. So I'd like to hand the mic over to Jessica Sheriff, our resident mental health consultant, an amazing therapist, to help us break down the topic of coming out. Coming out. This is definitely another super nuanced topic, and I'm excited to get into it because every person in the queer community probably has either a specific coming out story or just feelings related to the process of coming out in their personal lives and the use of labels. So this is a really important conversation that should be ongoing in our community most of the time. So we know as a fact that marginalized and oppressed identities experience mental health disorders disproportionately to the rest of the population. And coming out is not a singular event or experience, but rather a lifelong process. Every encounter with a new person or new environment requires a decision of whether or not to disclose one's LGBTQIA identity. There are some factors to seriously consider when making a decision to come out. The first of which is safety. Is your community and environment homophobic or transphobic and will your disclosure place you in immediate danger? If you are surrounded by transphobia or homophobia, coming out can lead to discrimination, microaggressions, and possible violence. The second factor to consider is relationships. Think how coming out to someone may change your relationship with them. Maybe it could affect your living situation or financial support. If these could be affected by your coming out, it's important to make plans for how you would address these changes. Additionally, perhaps there are cultural or religious undertones to consider in your family that if you did come out to them could lead to immense rejection and ultimately just exacerbate the trauma that you've already experienced. And lastly, the third factor to consider is becoming a spokesperson for your identity or community. Questions and concerns are natural responses to one's coming out and understanding requires effort on both ends However, there is the possibility that others will either project ideas of LGBTQ identities onto you, challenge your identity as an LGBTQ person, or expect you to speak on behalf of everyone in your community, resulting in tokenization, microaggressions, and ultimately just more work for you. Now, of course, there are also many benefits to coming out and existing in one's truth unapologetically such as fewer suicidal thoughts, behaviors, and depressive symptoms, lower levels of stress-related biomarkers, such as cortisol, adrenaline, and blood pressure, more authentic, meaningful, and fulfilling relationships, and feeling empowered by openly standing up against systemic and institutionalized homophobia and transphobia. I also want to note that although coming out can be a powerful way to affirm who you are to yourself and others, labels aren't the end-all be-all. It's okay if you're not sure how you identify or if your identity is fluid and labelless. Yes, labels help us identify with each other within the LGBT community and the world, but labels also exist to help other people understand us. And we have to be mindful of not allowing queerness to be valid only through the approval lens of others. At the end of the day, your feelings are what needs to be understood not a label with the universal definition. Coming out is an extremely personal process and disclosing one's sexual orientation, gender identity, or both should happen with someone you trust and who you feel will support you. Jessica, I cannot thank you enough for this amazing and supportive and affirming set of information. The comfort and knowledge you offer with these topic breakdowns is so invaluable and I am immensely grateful for you. Ah, I told you all I would be singing her praises all season long. I can't help it. She is just really 
really killing it and I'm so grateful for her. This is just a small example of what an opportunity to speak with a therapist might be like. If you feel like you might benefit from talking to a mental health professional, don't be afraid to seek one out. They have dedicated their lives to helping you live yours in the best way possible. And there is a therapist out there for you right now. Huge thank you, as always, to Jessica for breaking it down for us before we get started. I'm so excited and so grateful to have her here as a member of the Who Knows family. Make sure you follow her over on Instagram at Jessica Sheriff. I will have all of her stuff linked in the show notes all season long. Any episode you pick, it'll be there. Um, And there'll be some great resources for places to find your own therapist as well. So this week, who are we with? We are with Olivia Meeks. Woohoo! Some people know her as Liv, and she was last on the show back in season two with her wife, Olivia, which is why some people call her Liv. Yes, they have the same first name. Hold the applause. Um, And they talked about their relationship as a married couple on that episode. Olivia and Liv are both two of my very good friends who I love and miss so much right now. And Liv is without a doubt one of the most thoughtful, kind, intelligent, strong, compassionate, greatest people I've ever met in my entire life. She is what I can only describe as a sweet, chill badass. She is someone who will smile and tell you how it is with grace and poise, but she's laying it down. Um, But she will always just let you be your complete self when you're with her. And it's always so comforting to spend time with her. She's originally from Greensboro. Woohoo. That's why I miss her because she's currently living in Austin, Texas. I haven't seen her in so long. I miss her. I miss her wife. I miss their two cats who are the sweetest little orange babies that have ever lived. And we will be visiting them as soon as possible because I need to see them. She is a teacher by day, seventh grade English, and she loves it. She's been seriously doing some really amazing things, as all teachers have during the pandemic with online and in-person learning. Texas has not had it easy, but she's really doing it, and she's doing an amazing job. And she's also a certified yoga instructor. She's teaching all the people all the things, and she's an amazing writer. And she's begun to use her writing to share her story about coming out, as well as offering advice and support for those who are coming out and for those who wish to offer support to those in their life that are on a coming out journey because those people are supporting people. She's helping everyone and it is just the greatest thing. And coming out, like I said, is exactly what we were talking about today. Liv is going to share where her coming out journey began, some of the challenges she faced and how it makes her feel to speak openly and honestly about coming out in an effort to empower others to have the courage to live as their true selves. So here is Olivia and I talking about coming out. Liv, it has been a thousand years since I have seen you. And I'm going to be honest, more importantly, it's been a thousand years since I've pet your cats. And that is just absolutely heartbreaking for me. (laughs) I miss them. Before we even get started on you, how are the babies? How are they? The babies are wonderful. They're always so good. They um, are cuddled up right now at the patio door downstairs in the sun, living their best cat life. They're good. Living their best cat life. They miss their Aunt Taylor, though. Oh, I miss them, too. I miss Jebby's meow and something's little tiny face. They're so cute. Yes, you heard that right. They're, one of their cat's names is something. When, and I, that is my one of my favorite stories ever. Well, we have to name him something. <laughs> and that's his name. That's oh, my God. It's the best. So let's get into this. I'm so excited to be talking to you about this. And we've talked a little bit about coming out and your relationship with Olivia on the episode that you were on before. But since that time, you have really started using your voice to offer support to so many people on their own coming out journey, which I think LGBTQ experiences are like 
a huge part of mental health. To get us started, I really want to know, like, when did all of this start? How did your coming out journey start? Tell me everything. So the coming out journey started 10 years ago. I'm 28. And I think, you know, you mentioned this past year, I've been using my voice a lot more. And I think something about that 10 year anniversary, it's like, I've been sitting on all of this for a long time. And it's time to start sharing and encouraging and offering hope to more people. Uh, So there's one image that really stands out as the beginning. Um, And that is me sitting on a bench outside of my freshman dorm calling my uncle and I'm under the street lamp. It's probably eight o'clock at night in Georgia and I'm calling my uncle and telling him I'm gay. And that was the first family member I came out to when I was 18. And, um, I, I remember there was like a group of people playing hacky sack nearby or playing with frisbees. I don't know, something very cliche right next to me. And I'm having this like such emotional conversation on the phone. Meanwhile, I'm in college, like everything was new. And so that stands out as like the beginning because that is when I started to tell family, which was very different than the conversations I had had leading up to that moment. I, by then I had told one or two friends near me, like, oh, I'm questioning. I think I might be gay. I'm not really sure. But I think something about being in college and stepping into myself a little bit more and more authentically, it was like, wait, no, I need to, I need to tell my people. I need to tell people that are really close to me about this. So that's, uh, where it started from that phone call. I mean, I remember my uncle, he's, he's a nurse. And his first question was, I have to ask, are you going to hurt yourself? Or how do you feel? You know, things like that. Um, and I said, you know, I really am okay. I just, I really need to talk to someone. Um, and aside from that, like the conversation itself is, is really fuzzy. I remember his kindness. I remember his support. Um, but I most remember his surprise when I said, I don't want to tell mom and dad. I'm not ready to tell my parents. I have no interest in that. And I thought I will never do that. I will never, I'll never be there. Um, and, and I just remember the surprise in his voice and, um, and I thought, wait, wait, maybe that's not right. Maybe I should, maybe I should tell them. Maybe that's not okay. Uh, so from there, um, God, there's been so much that's happened in the past 10 years and it just feels like it's never ending. And that's one of the things I write about is that coming out is not one conversation. It is not me sitting on that bench under that street lamp with people playing with a Frisbee. It is almost every day there's an experience. There's my students finding out. There's renting a car and the guy asking if me and my wife are sisters, right? Like it just keeps evolving and changing. It took me a while to tell the rest of my family. I told my one of my sisters first. She smiled, she laughed, she hugged me and said, I'm so excited for you. And she just asked some really honest, genuine questions. And it was so simple and easy. And that is the memory I have that I hold on to. It's like, this is what coming out should be. You know, if this is what we still have to do, this is how it should go. Uh, so I hold on to that with like such love and respect for my sister, Caitlin. She's an angel on earth. Um, and that helped me tell my parents eventually. Um, I didn't tell my parents though, until I was 21 and I had started, I just started dating, um, Olivia, who is now my wife. And it, I didn't tell my parents until I met her parents because I saw what a welcoming, affirming family could be. And I had not seen that yet. I saw her parents love her. I saw them invite me in for her birthday party. I got to be her girlfriend there. I didn't have to be her best friend. And I remember leaving her birthday party and her stepdad gave me a hug and said, you come home anytime. And he whispered that in my ear and I thought, oh, this is it. Like, this is, this is how families can be. I didn't, 
I didn't know that that could exist. And so I came out to my parents uh, shortly after. I came out to my mom first. She came to school to visit me while I was in college and stayed the night in my apartment. And we were watching Les Mis that was playing in the background when I came out to my mom. It's like the most random memory, but we were watching Les Mis, like singing along, sitting in my teeny tiny bed together. And um, I told her like, mom, I wanted you to come visit because I need to tell you that I'm gay. And I remember she put her hand on my knee and she said, I figured, okay. I love you. Okay. And she didn't say a lot. She's not a woman of many words. Um, but I remember that conversation thinking, oh, I did it. Like, it wasn't wasn't so bad. Great. Um, she left the next morning. And then a few days later, things started to unravel. And uh, she, of course, told my dad, Things took a turn from there. You know, it started with her just saying, okay, I figured, you know, eventually it just, it it became way harder. (laughs) Um, And I hadn't talked to my dad, so I knew that he knew. I knew that she told him and I had to call him for some reason for like paperwork for school, insurance. I don't remember tax stuff. It was some like really quick thing I needed some numbers for. And we hadn't talked since I knew he that he found out. I got him on the phone, and I could tell his voice just was very different. Like, okay, he's busy. This isn't a good time. Um, and I got whatever I needed for whatever paperwork. And then at the end of the call, he was like, you know, your mom told me what you told her. And I'm just shocked. I'm stunned. I, I don't even know who you are. Um, I just, I can't talk to you. And I said, okay, uh, you take some time. And he said, bye. And I said, bye. And that simple bye on the phone was worse than him saying, I'm shocked. I don't know you, whatever. Because in my family, we have this, we just say, I love you. Bye. At the end of every phone call, we say it like one word, I love you, bye. That's it. And we always say it. We could be in the same parking lot together and be like, okay, I'll see you in one sec. Love you, bye. And we always say that. There has never been a phone call with another Meeks family member without that until that moment. And I thought, he can't even say he loves me. Like, he can't even bring himself to say those words. Uh, And that was awful to stomach. And I had to go from that call in my apartment to a dance class. And I was obviously, I had been crying. My face was red, eyes puffy, just like could not keep it together. And I remember my dance teacher, she didn't say anything to me, but she put her hand on my shoulder at one point as she walked by. And I thought, that felt like my mom's hand on my knee. Like, I just needed that one moment of touch of, like, I acknowledge whatever it is you're going through. And I hold on to that memory now. Oh, my God. Us teachers. We're, we're so good. <laughs> we're so good. <laughs> you really are. I bet that that, you know, is a moment that you also carry with you as you go and teach kids as well. Yeah, I do. I think about that a lot. Just her presence and her awareness. And she knew not to push, but she just also knew to be there. I I almost started crying when you were telling that. Like the part when you said what Olivia's family said to you when you left there and then like hearing the way that your that your parents react. I mean like that's probably how you felt too. Was like this high of like look at how this could be. Like look at the acceptance that I'm feeling now and then you go, you know, to your own true home of your family and it doesn't happen when it comes to you know the experiences of queer individuals who don't have the best coming out experience with their family you know not those cute Instagram videos that you see of the boy telling his grandma and his grandma hugging him like that's I wish that that was always how it was but like I think that 
you know, just as it's important to talk about those great moments, like it is really important to acknowledge that not every queer individual has the same exciting Instagram worthy experience of coming out. We don't. And they're all so incredibly different. So, so vastly different. (laughs) The more people I talk to, the more I'm like, you know, we need more of these stories. We need to know that this is more relatable than what we're thinking because, God, they're all so, so different. Not only are you providing visibility for those tougher moments of coming out, but you're also helping the people that the people are coming out to. Um, You are also providing information for those people. When you came out to your sister, you said that she asked a couple of questions. I'm curious, what were those questions and what are some questions that are okay to ask and which ones are not okay to ask? Yeah, well, she gets a sister pass too on some of the questions. Like, well, first she asks who else knows, which I think is important to to clarify with whoever is coming out because you don't want to out them to someone that they're not ready to be out with, right? So she's not going to mention it to my parents quite yet, our parents, um, because that would put me in a, in a tricky situation. So she asked, who else knows? Um, she asked how I was doing, which I think is a great question to always ask. Like, how are you? How are you handling this? She asked if I was dating anyone, which that's the sister pass, right? Like, I think if someone comes out to you, your first question, if you're going to ask questions is, can I ask you questions, right? Are you in a position to be asked these things or would you rather just be heard and have space right now? Um, I think that's number one. And then you can say who else knows and blah, 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 blah. Otherwise just assume that it's a secret. Unfortunately, that's what we have to do. She was also very kind in the way that she asked. I think that was huge. She had also hugged me before. We had also somehow managed to laugh in the conversation. So I was already already at ease. And I think if, if those things hadn't happened, it would have been a lot different. That is so great that you mentioned that asking if you can ask questions is a question. Because the answer might be, no, I don't really want to talk anymore about it. I'm just telling you. Um, and I think we need to normalize that a lot more as well, too, because I feel like in these moments and in, you know, other moments similar to this about somebody's lifestyle or their life or something that they're sharing with you, you know, just because they're sharing something with you doesn't mean that you're entitled to every detail. Like they are sharing with you and that should be, you know, that's a gift enough that you, that they feel comfortable enough around you to share that kind of information Um, So I'm glad that you said that because sometimes I feel like we don't talk enough about those that kind of dialogue of how to make sure that you can continue a conversation or that you are providing the right kind of support for the people that you are talking to. Yeah. And I think it's important to what you said, because that's something Caitlin did, too, is she thanked me for telling her and that felt really affirming like oh wow you see that this was really hard for me to do and you are gracious to accept it um so I think that's something that needs to be added in also to the script I'm a big believer in that people should be prepared right like parents you like what are you going to say when your kid comes out to you right like have that in your back pocket so that you're not the person who says I'm shocked I can't talk to you right now uh I think we should be ready for those moments Yeah, definitely. Um, When you, you know, had that moment with your dad, did you feel in that moment almost as if your emotions like didn't have room to exist? No, they felt very uh, present. (laughs) They were very present. They were overflowing. And it it wasn't that they couldn't exist. It was that they couldn't be managed. It was just this overflow of it felt like everything. Everything in every pore was just overflowing. Um, So handling that was very tricky. And I um, immediately went back into counseling (laughs) and got my my counselor back that I had freshman year of college and said, I'm coming. (laughs) Hold space for me. All of the emotions existed. I felt permission to feel them, but I didn't 
have a toolkit to process them was my problem. Um, so counseling was very helpful. Medication was very helpful. I was extremely depressed and I was not sleeping. So I went on antidepressants and sleep medicine. Um, that's how, that's how we got through that one. (laughs) Again, also, it's great that you, that you're saying that like, yes, I was depressed. I went to therapy. I went on Medicaid, like, cause you needed to do those things to, to manage that. Also, when you said that you were in, when you went to class right after that happened, man, if everyone, I bet everybody who's listening this to this can relate to that moment where you literally are so like emotionally distraught and then you have to go be at school like that is literally like you know among many other like you know difficult moments I'm sure that you had like having to just like be in a room full of people that have no idea like how much you are like emotionally suffering is horrible but again like that teacher that knew to just like be there for you in that one moment. It sounds it sounds like you, you know, along the tough journey that you have had these like really important moments that you've been able to, you know, grab onto when you really need to have something to look back on. So here we are 10 years later on this coming out journey. How are things, you know, obviously you're married to Olivia now, four four years four years four years I'll never forget that wedding Kyle was so wine drunk (laughs) um yeah uh so you're four years married 10 years out how are things now in general and more more importantly with your family things are so much better now than I could have ever imagined than I ever did imagine it took a long time for us to find some healing, but eventually we did. It required a lot of space on people's parts, on mine and theirs. Um, my parents, they, for probably two years, I think viewed my coming out as a cry for help, as like, uh, this, this is what's wrong and now you need to step in. I need my mom and dad. Whereas I viewed it as this is who I am now and you need to deal with it. And I think for two years, we were operating under very different understandings. And so eventually I, I wrote them a letter and I put it in the mail and I said, this isn't up for debate anymore. Uh, this is how it's going to be. Um, I love you. I still want to be in your life. Uh, I still want you in mine, but this is just it can't be up for debate anymore because it's it's exhausting me. Every time I saw them, it would be fun and nice. And then there would be 15 minutes that were just pure hell of them giving me another book to read about, you know, being gay in the church and having to change. And so-and-so is no longer out of the closet, whatever, right? Like all that really toxic stuff. And so all of our visits were kind of just plagued with that idea of, oh gosh, I'm going to get trapped later. I remember in college, there was one visit, probably my senior year, where they drove in to see me for the day and we went to lunch. They bought me lunch. We went shopping. They bought, they bought me things. And that to this day, it still feels icky of like, they bought me clothes and cute things and then had that conversation again. And it was like, wait, are you trying to, are you trying to buy me in? Like, I just, it didn't sit well. And after so many times of things like that happening, um, I eventually wrote that letter and sent it in the mail. The next time I saw them, we went to dinner and I remember being like, so did you get my letter? Like you haven't brought it up. My parents were like, oh, well, we just wanted to have a nice visit. We just wanted everything to be nice. I said, I can't do that anymore. I can't play nice with all of this boiling underneath. Like it's about to boil over. Like the lid is coming off. Like we can't keep being nice just for the sake of being nice. And they were like, we, we hear you. We, we hear you. We got the message. We'll pull back. And I thought, okay, great. You know, finally, (laughs) but it still wasn't, we love you. This is amazing. We celebrate you. You know, it was just a, we'll stop. And I did not see 
a, a radical shift in our relationship until after Olivia and I got married. And I think to this day, I still credit our wedding as what healed so much of it. I think they saw me so incredibly happy and so in love and they just, they had to, (laughs) had to realize that it was a good thing. Um, because up until that moment, things had just always been pushed back. And I remember planning a wedding was so hard and I tried to loop my mom into plans and then she wouldn't answer my text. Eventually just, she just said, it's too hard. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I'm not going to go dress shopping with my mom. I'm not going to ask her, um, what flowers I'm not going to have her help me with my registry. It was like this all of a sudden, like, oh wait, I don't get to do this. Like other girls get to do this. Um, so that was a really tough period. I was in grad school at the time and had to get my butt to class right after. Why does this always happen? Right after <laughs> my mom said um, that they they were reevaluating if they would financially cr- contribute to the wedding. I actually remember that because that we met when you guys, I think you had just gotten engaged and you moved to Greensboro to go to grad school. And I, re- I think I remember Olivia telling me about that. I don't remember exactly how it went, but I remember her saying that you were hurting from that. Yeah, because it felt like coming out all over again. Just like, God, we've already done this. Why are we still fighting this? And I remember my sweet grandmother, she gave um, me and my sisters each um, money when my oldest sister got married and she set that aside in some, some account and said, when the girls get married or need it for education, this is what this money is for. And when it was time for us to plan the wedding, my grandma called my dad and said, one, give her this money. Cause he had it in whatever account said, this is hers. This is her wedding. This belongs to her. It was my gift. And two, stop doing this to her or you will lose her. So my grandmother literally had to call my parents and say, get it together. (laughs) I think that is amazing. Shout out to grandma for that. Yeah, she's killing it. Yeah. um, So there was a lot of heartache around the wedding, which saying that sentence just sounds so bizarre right? That this wedding, this celebration of love was tied with, um, gosh, so, so much hard stuff. And we got married in October, 2016. And I remember for Christmas that year, Olivia came home with me to my parents' house. And the minute we walked in, everything was different. I thought, wait, everything's like brighter now and it's just happier. Like, wow, what, what has changed? And then we were out, we were out shopping and, um, Olivia pulled a dress off the rack and thought, oh, that's really cute. And she put, held it up to her and kind of swayed back and forth. My mom was like, oh, you should get that. That's, that would look really good on you. And she put it back and was like, nah, it's okay. Mm, It's kind of expensive. Maybe I should, eh, not, not really my thing but you could tell she really liked it. And eventually we came home 20 minutes later, my mom and Nana were like, Oh, we forgot something. We have to run to this store. We're going to go out for an errand. Y'all stay. We'll be back. I thought, well, that's kind of weird. We were all just out. Why are we, why are y'all leaving and making us stay home? Okay. And wouldn't, you know, she walks back in and she's returned with the dress and she has, she just looked so proud and she's holding this bag out. Like, look, look what I got. I did this. And it's just this image of me of like, or image of such growth. And this dress lives in our closet forever and ever. Cause I can't ever like not have such pride and joy when I see it because I love my parents so, so much. And I know I have talked about how hard this has been, but I also know that all of that hardship was coming from a deep, deep love that I, I will never understand. Um, 
And I, I am not angry. I am not, I don't have any bad feelings towards them at all. Right. I have, I have healed and we have healed and I'm so happy with where we are now because me and Olivia are just, are one with the family. We moved to Texas to be closer to my family out here. My one sister lives very close to me an hour away. Another lives three hours still in Texas. And my parents just retired out here last spring. And so we made the move to Texas knowing my parents would be here. And if you had asked me when I was 21, if I would want to live in the same state as my parents, I would have said, uh, no, right. But we've been able to heal on our own terms. And that has been incredible. We don't talk about a lot of this stuff now. The closest we ever got was at my sister's wedding two years ago. Um, my sister, she got married out here in Texas right after she had moved. And she wasn't sure who was going to marry her. Like she, she had just moved. She didn't have somebody out here to perform the ceremony or to officiate. And my dad volunteered. And... I selfishly was offended by that. Someone told him <laughs> I felt some kind of way about it because at the uh, reception, he came up to me and he said, you know, I know some people are like kind of questioning me officiating, but, you know, I just wanted to help out. I know she didn't know many people out here. And I said, the reason I questioned it, Dad, is because I asked you if you would walk me down the aisle and you had to think about it. And it took you three days to say yes. Meanwhile, my sister is getting married to a wonderful man, a wonderful man. And you are volunteering to stand up front and center and do the damn thing for them. And he looked at me and his eyes got wide and he just said, hmm, yeah. And he hugged me. And that look, that hug said all the I'm sorry's I ever needed. I was like, okay, we have, we've said that and we're moving on. Ever since then, it's been like, oh, this is just who I am. This is, this is me and my wife. This is my family. And we are perfectly imperfect. And it has all worked together for good. You, in so many parts of this story, have done... What I find difficult personally, but I think a lot of people find difficult, you were unapologetically yourself and you stood up for the need to unapologetically be yourself. You know, when you sent that letter saying like, we're done having this conversation, that's, you know, what did it feel like when you dropped that in the mail? So freaking scary because I thought they could open this and then the opposite could happen, right? And being in that place of, of questioning if your parents' love is conditional or unconditional, that's the worst place to ever be, right? So that was incredibly terrifying. And yeah, I was unapologi unapologetic about being myself, but it took me two years to get there. There was a lot going on between those two years where I just kept going and kept going and kept going. And eventually I just had to send that letter. Um, but it took me quite a while to get there. And I think sometimes people who are out are perhaps a little insensitive to that fact that so much of this is on our own terms and it cannot be rushed. And like, I kind of judge myself now that, wow, it took two years to get there. And, you know, I was so timid with my parents, but at the end of the day, they're my parents, they're my mom and my dad. And we always fall into these roles with our parents, you know? So it's fair for me to be timid in these situations and it's fair to me to take my time. And I think sometimes we just have this like coming out amnesia of like, oh, well, we're out now and everyone is so accepting and my family is so much better now and you, you should just do it too. And I think sometimes the narrative just feels a little bit rushed for queer people to come out because God, when it's hard, it's hard. And we need to save space for that. Yeah. And I think you're really doing that with what you're doing with your writing and with your content online 
so now that you've gone through that, you are choosing to share your experiences and your advice with others. And I'm curious to know, when it comes to talking about that process more openly um, and that experience, what is it like? How does it make you feel to take what you've been through and offer it to others so that they can have a better time? And, you know, one of the things that you do that I think maybe one of my <laughs> maybe one of my favorite things that you do is you not only are just you know talking about just like the acceptance of you know queer people in the world in general but you are tackling one of the most difficult things which is acceptance of queer people in Christianity and in religion what are some of the joys that you have when you get to share your story and what are some you know are there fears that you still have as you for lack of a better word like take on Jesus Christ with (laughs) like what is it like to you know share all of that having you know been through what you've been through and knowing what you know what others are probably going through it feels well to share my story and to offer hope to other people that feels empowering and it feels very validating and it feels very purpose driven. Like, yes, this is what I can do with this now. Right. Like there is something good that is coming out of it. Thinking about coming out in the church, that's a whole other ball game. It's a lot scarier when you put that parameter on it. You know, when I lived in Greensboro, it was probably 2015 I went to church with my wife and some friends that I'd known from, well, when I lived in Greensboro before. I, I grew up in Greensboro and then moved back for grad school, right? And so I went to this church. I was visiting. I'd been maybe two or three times. And uh, there was a guest pastor. He very like flippantly mentioned homosexuality being a sin just like murder and adultery. Like I was somehow living in that same camp. When people stood up to take communion, Olivia and I left. And I thought, I'm not safe here. I, and, I, and I was with friends and I thought, oh my God, like I'm going to embarrass them if, you know, I get introduced to people and like, this is just going to be a bigger deal. We just need to quietly exit. This isn't my place. We got to go. And so I'm in the parking lot, like tearing up, trying to keep it together because I have to drive home. Why is there always a thing in the way of our emotions? <laughs> but um, my a friend ran after us in the parking lot. And I just said, it's taken me so long to get back in this building. And so for that to happen, like, I just, I can't do this. It, it took way too long for me to get here. And now this happened, like, I'm out. And... She didn't try to, you know, sell the church or excuse that man. She just said, I'm so sorry. I know. I I hear you. I love you. I hear you. And she hugged us and she cried with us. That, like, seeing her emotion too, it was just so kind. And I get weepy thinking about it. (laughs) But I think about that moment in the parking lot. A lot. And it it took me a long time to get there. It wasn't until like this past year where I realized, wait, I am taking the wrong lesson from this moment, right? Because it's not about how the church is intolerant or wrong. It's not about how the church is unaccepting. We all know that, right? That's old news. But it is about running after people in the parking lot. It is about crying with them and hearing them. It's about loving people in those hard moments. And I think that has been what has been fueling my writing is I want to be that parking lot person. I want to run after these people who I know are in pain. And I want to say, I hear you and with you. I didn't have that representation growing up. And I think what made me want to be more authentic, what made me want to be bolder was seeing Olivia's family and seeing them being so affirmative. Um, That was my representation at 21 of like, oh, this is what it looks like. I want that. (laughs) Yeah. And now you're giving it to other people, which I think like is amazing. And 
I am going to direct people to your Instagram forever because like I remember when I saw you like when you began to like you know because you didn't outright say like and now I'm doing this with my Instagram like it just slowly became like hey I'm going to use this platform to talk more about this like I remember the day where I was like holy crap she is about to like lay it down for everyone and they're all going to be like amazed because I'm already amazed with you. I'm grateful that you came out of those difficult experiences wanting to help others and sharing your the tough times and the you know the the moments of victory because I think having more of that happening especially in like the content creation space is so important. I'm so thankful for all that you've shared today. And I'm, you know, if anybody needs any more convincing to go follow you after this episode, I I don't know what else I can do because like... I'll post pictures of my cat sometimes too. So that's good. Yeah. I, I mean, if you need more cats in your life, they're orange cats. So it's like it's different. different kind of cat than Claude. Liv, thank you so much for this. And thank you for being my friend. And I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you. It was so fun. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope that you got something out of this episode, whether it be feeling confident and affirmed in your own identity, some support or advice for the next phase of your own coming out journey, or some insight into what a coming out journey can look like for a person in the LGBTQIA community. Remember, all journeys are different. And if you are ever a part of one, know that that is a super special moment that you get to be a part of. And as always, we encourage you to have conversations like these with the people in your life. The more conversations like these we have, the less we feel so alone trying to figure out life and the closer we feel to those that we love. Don't let anyone convince you that you shouldn't talk about your feelings. They are valid and they're important and sharing your feelings might help another person have the courage to share theirs. Getting to have this conversation with Liv actually helped me have the courage to work out some of my own feelings around my own queer identity. And I was so grateful to have an amazing friend like her to give me that space and support and help me face a little bit of my own fears. I actually have a clip of that moment um, that I want to share right now. This is, for the most part, completely unedited, just some behind-the-scenes stuff for all of you right now. And usually this would only live on the Patreon, but in honor of Pride, I really want to share it with everyone. Um, Even now I'm a little nervous about it, but I'm trying to remember that the strength and empowerment that I was given in this moment with Liv, she really loves me, she accepts me, and people like her in my life are helping me learn to accept myself a lot more. She's a great friend, and great friends are there for you in emotional moments like these. So here you go. I'm bisexual, but I don't, I never really felt like I had like a moment where I felt like I don't know if it was just because of me. I was thinking about it today, actually. Like, I don't, I almost felt like I didn't want to, like, come out in a way that, like, took away the space from, you know, lesbian, gay, bi, transgender individuals. Because I almost feel like being bisexual is, quote unquote, like, more accepted. But I also think about sometimes the fact that, like, but being bisexual can also be like very over sexualized as well and like people are like oh like you just like to kiss girls for fun and like no like actually like do like women like and just because I'm in a relationship with a man doesn't mean that I'm not you know queer and like I just I I don't know I've always just felt like I for me I've always wanted to hold more space for other people who because like, you know when my when I told my parents they were just like it wasn't even like a conversation they were just like whatever like not even a, co- a topic of conversation I struggle with holding too much space and saying things that I don't know about when it comes to like a queer identity because again I live in a queer identity maybe you can help me make sense of what I like I live in this queer identity of being bisexual but I also feel like I'm not allowed to live in 
my queer identity because I'm just bisexual? Is that something that like, is that a lie that I've been fed somewhere? Or like, is there, are there other bisexual people that you talk to that like, I'm like, I feel like I'm asking you to help me. I can try. I can try to help you because I, I relate to this in one way that I, I was having this conversation last night. Sometimes I feel like I am not gay enough to be, to be a voice on coming out. Right. Like I, I pass as straight on the street. I'm a cisgendered white woman, right? So there's a lot of privilege wrapped into that. And I I often find myself questioning, like, am I gay enough to post this picture on Instagram? You know, like, I don't have enough rainbows on my posts. Like, maybe I'm not doing it justice. And I have to remind myself that I am designed the way that I am with a purpose and the queer community is meant to accept us all. And so I have to give myself that pep talk of I am meant to be here. I am meant to take up space and I am allowed to have the voice that I have. And so I give you permission to have that pep talk with yourself. (laughs) Thank you. Because I almost, again, I almost didn't bring this up and I said in the beginning in our you know in our little pre-chat I was like I'm so glad that I'm doing this interview with you today because we know each other like we're friends you know we've spent we've watched each other's cats you know I love how that's our measurement of knowing people by the way like we've watched our, our each other's cats I'm glad that I brought that up because I really you know I do feel that way like I feel like I'm not being bisexual is not gay enough, but that's actually like really horrible. It's like gay shaming myself. Like that's like being homophobic to myself almost of being like, or like not a homophobe, but like, I don't even know, like, like, I don't even know what to call that. Like, that's just me. That's just another way that I, which I'm very good at of denying myself the, the permission to live as myself and that I'm allowed to, you know, hold space and be alive do you feel like I like all of that is like okay for me to talk about with like my bisexual stuff oh yeah like do you feel like I said anything wrong do you feel like I sound like I'm being insensitive or idiotic in any way no I think it's very relatable I think many queer people question like where they are in the spectrum and if it's enough like have I earned this label okay I'm then I'm glad that I because I didn't know how to explain that because it's like it is something that I really struggle with where I'm just like, I don't want to talk about the fact that I'm bi because like I'm dating a man. So like, I don't feel like I matter and like, I don't feel like it matters, but like, I'm glad that I brought it up because like, if you, yeah, I, I'm glad that I, cause I needed, I've wanted to get that out for a while. And I guess that's like, I mean, you guys already knew that I was gay. So like, it's not like I'm coming out, but I also feel like I don't ever really get a space to have a conversation with somebody. So is this like, is this you coming out on who knows? I mean, I don't know. I don't even know if I'm going to put this in the episode, but maybe I should. Like maybe I'll, maybe, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, I don't know. I guess, I guess I just assume that everyone knows that I'm bi because I don't like, I don't hide it. I don't know. It's very confusing. Um, But I'm so grateful that you allowed me to share that because yeah, I or and allowed and like made me feel like it was okay to bring it up because I don't I don't ever feel like I have a place to talk about it because like I said like no nobody in my life really gives it a second look, um, but yeah. But it's valid and it should be celebrated and I think our insecurity comes from that lack of celebration. Oh, I'm just so grateful to have friends like Liv who love and support me as I work so hard to figure out who the hell I am. And I'm glad that people like Liv are dedicating their life to sharing their journey and inspirations with others like me. Thank you again, Liv. You're doing amazing things. I'm so grateful for everything you do. All right, everyone. If you want to stay up to date with episode releases and see cute pictures of cats, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, at who knows pod we are also on facebook at who knows we feature pets and plants on our instagram story every day that we release a new episode so if you've got a pet if you've got a plant send it on over we want to see them we want to share them send it on over to us on instagram you can also visit our website at who knows pod and if you want to send us any questions or those pictures of your animals uh send it to taylor at who knows the best way to support us is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends, tell everyone about the show. 
We want to grow this community and we need your help to do that. To support us even further, become a patron for as low as $1 a month for access to exclusive content and to help the show get better and better. It really does help y'all. It's fun over there. There's a lot going on. Come on over. Come on over, baby. Pride! Woo! I am feeling it today. Trying to feel it every day and in every way. It is a work in progress and listen, it ain't easy, but it's worth it. Woo, 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 woo. And as always, who knows who's out there, but I love you and thanks for listening. This episode was hosted and edited by me, Taylor Dankovich. Our music is written and performed by the Isaac Kyloff Project. Am I even alive today? I feel like I can't even see straight. I can make a whole musical just with what comes out of my brain.